Yat A, hello. Welcome to Real Native Roots Untold Stories, a podcast by a Native woman with deep roots, hosted by yours truly, Vicky Katsuli Boy Oldman. I am a lover of stories, a connector, and a holder of wisdom keepers. Each month, we will be connecting with our Native relatives and exploring what medicine our guests share and offer to us. Please join me on this uncharted journey to learn, connect, and reflect. Ayahat, thank you. Yaat A, hello everyone. How are you all doing? I am fabulous. I'm happy in such a good place. My reflections to you is... No matter how old you are, you got to continue to stretch yourself and do things that are uncomfortable. Some of you may know that I have been working on this 50 Things for 50. And one of them I completed last year was taking classes to learn how to ride a motorcycle. Even though I took the class, I'm still very hesitant of even considering getting a bike. I don't think I will. I love it, though. I really enjoyed it. I have been on a motorcycle lately with a friend who owns a couple of bikes. I tell you, I have this scooter trash bug, so they say. Done some night riding, of course, day riding, even was on a bike for a couple hours going towards Sedona. It rained, it was windy, and then it was hailing. Your girl here managed to get through all of that without any complaints. I have to say, though, the rain and the hail did kind of sting But it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to more of that. So the learning for me is taking risks and enjoying the moment. I tell you, the bike riding brings me a lot of joy because I get to see Mother Nature in its most beautiful form. My favorite, I would have to say, is night. I love the night riding you can see the stars. That is what's happening with your girl. I'm, I'm enjoying life, taking risk and trying new things. I hope you all are doing something to stretch yourself. All right, I'm going to read a poem and then I'm going to introduce our guest. This is from Mary Lyons. She's an Ojibwe great-grandmother. The name of the poem is called I Am Who I Am Today by Choice. It starts like this. Being angry today only validates the teachings of the intruders. Being dismissive today only validates your telltale sign of pain. Being physically violent today only validates what you learned well from the negative teachers of hidden pain. Being absent today only validates the sleeping spirit within you. When you become aware of your negative behavior, You are hearing the ancestors within you saying, enough with this. Remorse for your negative action is your spirit awakening. Wanting to learn more positive outcomes is your spirit seeking balance. Seeking out wellness is becoming home to the real you. Mm. Life is a classroom that often is full of tricksters. Life can teach you to either live in a negative or positive world. Life can either be a walk in beauty or a silent place of pain. Life is a gift. It's a choice. It's your choice. It's up to you how you want to live it. Today is a new beginning. You can either live like you hate or seek what you want. What brings the real you to life? Sending tobacco prayers out to all to awaken their inner spirit. Rejoice with their ancestors and live to the fullest. Life is good. Today is a good day to start to live a life of happiness. Mm. Thank you, Mary Lyons. That was beautiful. When you hear me say, "Mm," those are the ones that really just get me when she had said coming home to yourself and then having an awareness of our insides. And that's really our ancestors speaking to us. I hope that offered you all something. Just keeping in mind, we make choices every day. It's up to you how you want to show up. All right. I'm going to introduce to you my guest. I am really excited that she said yes. I've known her actually for, geez, at least eight years. We both grew up on the Navajo Reservation. 
what connected us actually was our sons when they were in high school. I have always had high regard and respect for her. She has served our country. She's been in the military, also been a police officer working with different units. She's an amazing mother and also very gentle heart. I look up to her because I think she's pretty badass. She's the only woman that I know who is a force to be reckoned with. Like she doesn't take crap, but she's also very sweet and giving. I would love for you all to meet my friend, Marianne Bullhead. Yeah, it's a hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. How are you feeling about this? I, I'm just really honored to be here, Vicki. I just want to say thank you very much. And I'm glad we're sitting across the table again, like with each other, looking at each other. <laughs> so this is pretty excited and I'm really nervous. No, don't be nervous. We're just, we're just going to have a conversation. Thank you also for serving our country. I want to talk a little bit about your experience with that. But thank you for being here. And I was curious, was there anything from Mary Lyons? Did anything resonate for you as you listened to the poem? I was listening to you and I was like, did you pick this poem just for me? <laughs> no, spirit did. It was for me too. I was listening and I was like, it's pretty much how I feel like my life is. It's just life is like, She's a teacher and I'm her student. I always wonder what next, what lesson is coming next. I feel like I didn't choose this path to retire from the military and retire as a police officer and a Native American female police officer out there in the world that's not the reservation. I feel like I've been a student since then and I'm still learning. I've gotten over this obstacle of retiring just recently. I'm reflecting, I'm going through this transition, like, what am I going to do now? I can't believe I, I finished that chapter and that obstacle. And I've been praying like what my next path in life is going to be. So that was a really awesome poem. I'm glad it resonated with you because it did for me as well. I also appreciate you just even saying like, okay, now that I'm retired, what's next? I know that you have a big faith as well. And I know that you will find your way. I'm not worried about that. Why don't you share a little bit about who you are? I know we're going to talk a little bit about your career, but most importantly, I want people to know who you are because I'm sure you have some relatives out there. I'm 51 years old. I'm married. I have three children. I have a grandbaby. I have two pugs and I have one cat. I have to throw that in there because they all keep me pretty busy. <laughs> My clans are, I'm half Diné and half Lakota. My clans are Tkachitni and Oglala Lakota, Bushishchin, Hadangahni, Dashichedo, Blackfeet, Dashinala. I grew up on the Navajo reservation with my mother's side of the family. My father is from North Dakota and his name is Earl Bullhead. It's really interesting how like on both sides, I've learned so much from my Diné culture and my Lakota culture but I currently live here in New Mexico and I moved off the reservation like 10 years ago. Yeah, and that's where I came across you and our sons and I remember you from high school being a cheerleader. Oh, geez. <laughs> you had to bring that one in. <laughs> we are the fighting scouts. <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> right. I forgot how that song goes. Do you remember? No. I, 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 was, I was that student that was shy and... Do you remember that walking by the gym and all the guys would stand against the wall? Oh, gosh. <laughs> and my walk. friends were like, we don't want to walk that way. <laughs> yeah. That is funny. Yeah. I remember back in the day, because that was in the 80s, everybody had curly permed hair. Did you have the perm? Oh, yes. <laughs> with the Aquanet hairspray and the picks to like frizz up your hair and the Levi jacket with the little buttons. <laughs> Aquanet. I had a conversation about Aquanet with somebody recently. They were saying like one day there's going to be like warnings. If you use baby powder, you have an opportunity to blah, 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 you know, like Sue. My friend was saying, I guarantee you there's going to be something about Aquanet. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to be one of those. <laughs> Both of us. <laughs> so I didn't know until we got to know each other that you were half Lakota. Did you spend time on the Lakota reservation? I don't know what reservation your dad's from. I think he did say it and I missed it. I grew up on the Navajo reservation with my, my mother's side of the family. And the first time that I visited Devil's Lake, North Dakota was when I was in the eighth grade. And I spent 
the summer there. Very, very different, but the same in so many ways. That's the first time that I spent time with my father. As when I was growing up, I wasn't really close to my father until later on in life. Like now we talk all the time. He calls me all the time and he's constantly sharing stories with me. Part of my tradition up there in the Dakotas on my Lakota side. His name is Earl Bullhead. He's a singer and a teacher. I always tell him, oh, I saw your presentation. He has presentations on like YouTube and Spotify. And he's like, what? So he's pretty surprised, but he's very well known also. And I constantly come across people who are like, I know your father, Earl Mm -hmm. Bullhead. So he's getting up there in age, but I'm glad he's part of my life later on in life. And that's a lesson learned in itself. When you were sharing that, it also made me think about your dancer. Mm -hmm. You dance. Mm -hmm. So did you learn that from your dad's side or your mom? I'm a Northern traditional dancer in the powwow. I don't do it for competition. I just really do it for therapy. I'm really honored when I'm dancing. It's like meditation for me and it clears my mind. And I just feel like that's home to be there dancing with everybody else in the circle, to listen to the songs and just like getting dressed itself. It's a lesson learned. I have to be patient and I have to take care of my regalia, my feathers. It's really grounding for me. That came from my father's side. It's always a lesson learned with him, like the etiquette of it, the different songs and how I should present myself. I'm glad I have that in my life. And I feel like that's something that's really helped me as far as my incidents with PTSD and anxiety. It hits me differently when I dance. It's for, like I said, therapy. Mm, I really appreciate you also just mentioning getting ready to dance, right? It's premeditative in the sense of getting yourself in a really good place. And if you are hasty, you could damage or do something mishap on your regalia. And I think part of that is even age, right? As you get older, you really see it differently than when you were young. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I enjoy like it's the little moments when you see people dancing. We all have our own prayer. And when I go into the circle, I just take a deep breath and just release and say my little prayer. It's always really therapeutic for me. It's equivalent to me, like going into a church. I say my quick prayers and it's life changing for me for that day. And I really enjoy that part of it. I just want to lift this because I know that some of our listeners are non-native. I'm sure they've seen powwows or attended a powwow, you know, the media, the television. It's more than just dancing. There's, there's something spiritual about it. And for some folks, it's therapy, it's praying. It's, there's a lot of different things about being in that space. I wanted to just lift that because I know that there are people who may not really understand why there's a gathering like that. Did your dad share with you or do you feel comfortable sharing anything about what maybe an elder or someone has shared about the purpose of the gathering? From what I've been taught pretty much a long time ago, it was really different. I think nowadays it's very competitive and people dance to place, depending on which powwows there is, people like the money pot is bigger. But like I said, that's why in the beginning I said, I don't do for competition. I do it for myself. A long time ago, it was a social gathering and people would come to the powwows. I like the smaller powwows because you see women talking, you see the men getting together and they're singing and everybody's more relaxed and the kids are playing and laughing and it's not so commercialized. Mm -hmm. And I feel like from what I've learned that's how a powwow is supposed to be. It's a social gathering. And a long time ago, even the regalia was different. The dances were a little bit different. I've witnessed like watching certain videos where dancing was different. Mm. So, and of course, like I said, I'm that person who likes the smaller powwows. (laughs) And it's kind of funny because I feel like the bigger powwows, like Gathering of Nations is here, right? It's right Mm -hmm. down the road. And it's very commercialized. Mm. It's not like what I'm used to. And you can get caught up in all of it, but you'll definitely see me at the smaller powwows. <laughs> Your uniform. There are several pictures I've seen on the social media, which you have weaved in your native 
regalia. I think it's a skirt, actually. But on top, you have like your military uniform. I'm curious about that. If you look into my closet, of course, my husband has that little section. And then (laughs) (laughs) my closet. Oh, my gosh. I have my military uniforms, what I have left. And then I had my police officer uniforms. And then I have my Native American regalia, like my Diné dresses. And then I have my Lakota dresses. <laughs> so when I'm requested to do color guard events, I'm part of different Native American women color guard teams. I have to kind of like look through my closet and all the colors and all the outfits. And I'm like, what is going to represent me? Depending on which event, some of my desert print outfits are from when I went to Iraq. I've been to Iraq twice from my deployment. With that said, as a female veteran, you see a female veteran. And when I say Iraq, you see a person that has like a a helmet on and has their rifle and their sidearm and their brown boots. And yes, I'm that, but I'm also a Native American woman. There's many places that when I was in the military, I would be the only Native American or sometimes the only female. I'm very honored to be in those positions. When I look through outfits, I'm like, okay, this is what's going to represent me. Sometimes it's my, my desert print. Sometimes it's my, my green camouflage that everybody's used to seeing, or I have digital print. And it's funny because I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been through how many eras of military changes. Mm. Like as far as the prints, I have all of them. I can put a skirt with it. I can put a ribbon skirt with it. I can match my beadwork with it. Or even my Danette clothing, I can switch. I can put on like one of my uniform tops with my Danette skirt or my top with my Danette jewelry, my silverwork and my turquoise, my sash belt, and even the moccasins. I can switch my moccasins from my beaded moccasins or my Diné moccasins. And I think it's pretty awesome. I, I, I see myself and I identify myself in that way. I just really love my closet. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see it. I remember the first time you came, we we're having a celebration for Gavin and you came in uniform. I was so excited, folks. I was excited. And then I said, can you give me a hug? <laughs> I'm like, have you hugged your officer today? And it just was the first time I actually hugged a police officer in uniform. And yeah, and she had her, her what do you call that? that guard in front of you. My vest. Yeah, it it was hard. I don't know how you can walk in that. It got me curious as I was listening to you. You had said a lot of times when you were in the military and even in the police force, you were probably the only Indigenous woman in there. And it made me wonder, what was that like when you first went to the military? What did you experience and what did it teach you? What was hard about it being one of the very few indigenous women in that space. I went to Window Rock High School, graduated in 1989. And I remember, I don't know if it was a teacher or counselor who said that, who wants to take the ASVAB test for the military and it's extra credit. And I'm like, I'm going. <laughs> Not really understanding like what an ASVAB test is for the military. So I enlisted into the U.S. Navy. That's where my military career started. I was an electrician. They used to call us Sparkies back then in (laughs) 90. I remember somebody saying that the military will make you or break you. And I think that's very, very true because I feel like growing up on the reservation, it was a very rural area. I mean, I grew up like dirt road off a dirt road. When I enlisted, I was 17. My mom had to sign the papers with me. And right after high school, I went to boot camp in Orlando, Florida. And it was like a big eye opener for me because I wasn't used to leaving the reservation. And I I may sound really naive, but I never really socially interacted with other cultures. And that was the first time for me. Some of the people that were in the Navy with me in boot camp, I was like, oh my gosh, their eyes are blue, they're blonde. It was very different for me. When I was in boot camp, there was no other Native Americans. I was the only one. It was shocking. It was a culture shock. I didn't understand that then, but even then, like people would make fun of my name and my last name was Bullhead. I went through a lot as far as like what they would say about my name, 
And just looking around, I was very homesick. I can imagine like other people who would leave their small homes and go into boot camp, go into training, get orders and wherever they're stationed, they're like the only Native Americans. And for the longest time, I was in that position. And, you know, later on, I enlisted into the Army National Guard. And even then, I would sit in classrooms or training or on deployments or missions and look around and I would be the only Native American female. With that, I think it really made me. One thing I've learned is I was so scared many times being a police officer. I was I was afraid. And I learned that just I would talk to myself like that little girl from the reservation. I'm like, just do your best, do your best. And you know what? My best was like how I survived because most of the times I would finish a task and I'm like, wow, I did pretty awesome. That was a huge learning experience for me is just do your best, do your best because, oh my gosh, a lot of times your best is like some of the best performance in your life that you'll ever do. And you think, wow, I could do that. And my experience with weapons I never shot a gun before, ever, on the reservation, ever. Not even a BB gun. (laughs) Just a homemade slingshot. But I did my best, and I learned that I'm a pretty good shot. I always tease people. I'm like, I can't really cook or beat or sew, but man, I can shoot. And that was just doing my best. I learned that I'm a pretty good shot, especially in the military and being in law enforcement. How many years have you been in in the military? So in total, I retired out of, the, out of the military. I was in the Navy and the Army National Guard. And in total, it was 20 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a whole different, it's a whole different world. That lifestyle is so different. And then what led you to join the police force? I remember growing up on the reservation and seeing a female officer. And I wish I knew her name and she worked for Navajo police. I was always used to just seeing males, male police officers working for the Navajo police department. When I first saw this female officer, I saw her running on the road and I saw her police unit parked down the road. And then I think at a school, she did a presentation or I saw her somewhere and I thought, I just wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to be just like her. I wish I knew her name. I see her face. She really inspired me. Representation, right? I'm all about lifting other women. I think it's important to lift each other. And you're recognizing her. She didn't even know that she inspired you. And she did. And it impacted your life. You mentioned her reading, going to the classroom. And I've seen pictures of you with the littles. You shared with me that that brings you joy. I'm one person who tries to teach young minority women that you can do it also. I feel like being in the military has changed throughout the years. But as far as like rural areas and law enforcement, I feel like it's slowly changing, but it's getting there. And I am so happy when I see young female officers, and especially minority females. I'm sorry, but I'm going to say it. I honestly feel like women make amazing police officers. And I always advocate for that. Sometimes I think I make people upset, but I'm like, it's true because I know for a fact because I lived it. When you're a mother, especially a single parent, when you are in charge of a household, you're in charge of the home the food, everyone's health, you pay bills, you do everything, laundry, cooking. They say multitasking doesn't exist, but I'm like, we do it all as women and we still have to go to work. I was military. I was police officer. I was still mother. When my kids were little, most that time period, I was a single parent. I wanted a better way of life for myself and my children. I made those choices like the poem you read earlier. I was a student in that classroom. She was throwing all of these different tasks at me. I see young women and I'm like, they're good investigators. They're very, very attention to detail. And I always say like, if something happens, I want a female officer. (laughs) So nowadays, I feel like law enforcement is very different. People think that you're going to be a police officer. You're going to be hands-on. You're throwing people down. It's not like that. There's, I mean, there's times you'll run into incidents like that, but it's a lot of investigative work. 
you have to ask the right questions. You have to learn how to talk to people. And in the police academy, they call it verbal judo. And I truly believe in verbal judo. It's just basically talking to people, talking them down, making them calm, giving them different choices instead of being so stern. Women do that. I remember this incident in Gallup. I used to work for Gallup Police Department. It's funny. It's, it's comical. I always remember it. So there was this one guy. He would not get out of the police unit in the back of the unit. And the guys were trying to pull him out. And he was this huge, strong guy. And my tone totally changed. Mm. And in Navajo, I told him calmly, I said, I said, can't, which means, come on, let's go. It really calm. And I said, let's go home. And and he got out of the unit and all the guys were looking at me and <laughs> and it's just changing your tone and talking to people. And I've always believed that just respecting people and listening to them, you have a better outcome. And I feel like there's women out there who can do that as far as investigations and documenting and just paying attention to detail because when you write these police reports, right, you're painting a picture for everyone mm-hmm. and all of that gets documented. It's almost like writing a book, like writing a journal. And I feel like young women are really strong in that. And you have to take pictures and do diagrams and enter all of that into evidence. And it's a lot of work. That is where like most of the work is, like I said. And people think that law enforcement is getting rough and tough, but there's a different side of it. I appreciate you mentioning what you see as strengths of women being in the law enforcement field. What would you say to them in terms of preparation if they really want to go into law enforcement? What do they need to be thinking about? It's physically exhausting. You have to be prepared for that. And also mentally, find a place that makes you relax and like leave that hat at work. I say that because when I go home, my mom hat comes on and I leave my police hat at work. I've also been involved in situations where I stop at the door and this is just my belief. If I was at a really hard call where I've had to take off my boots or my uniform at the door and go inside and say a prayer, smudge myself, walk in and I have to be there with my family. I have to leave everything at the door and that's mentally something that you have to prepare yourself for. Also, there's a lot of typing, a lot of documenting, and you have to be prepared for that and entering into evidence because now it's a digital world. You have to be really focused on downloading, putting things into evidence and get preparing yourself for court. And your family has to be a big support. Like with me, it was my grandma, my mom who were constantly there watching my children while I had to go to work. It's very demanding, but it's doable. Every day is a different, I call it like mission or task. Every day is different. It's not like going to an office job and doing the same thing over. It's it's always different. A lot of training also. You think about all the elements of our life, like relationally, spiritually, physically, all those pieces in your role, like you have to take care of yourself. I always say it's like a, a job of being a warrior. You have to be a warrior. You have to be ready for the fight. So if you're going into a fight, you have to be prepared. You have to have your tools, your physical part of it, and even your mentality. It has to be there. Like I've had rough times at home and I can't have stress and go to work and be thinking about what's happening at home. I have to be at work and have 100% mentality. One time we were talking and you were saying, like, I want to be part of the change in terms of can how people see a police officer. And you were saying, particularly like the young people, you said, I want them to feel safe when they see a police officer. It made me think about when I was growing up, everybody would be like, sit still, here comes a cop. I get stressed, <laughs> trauma triggered. Like, and I'm sometimes even now, like I'm cruising, you know, and then I see a cop behind me. And I'm just like, I, I notice I just get tense. And I think it's just the repetition of, you know, hearing that. I don't know if you wanted to make a comment about that, but, you know, I know that that's something that was important to you. That's kind of funny because I remember seeing police officers when I was little, right? The laws for seatbelts were totally different back then. I remember sitting in back of the truck going to Gallup and we weren't in seatbelts. And I still remember the times where you were, you know, how you would stand in back of the pickup truck and your hands are over the cab. (laughs) And all the winds hitting you. And I'm like, (laughs) wow, we used to do that. And now seatbelt laws are really strict. 
this woman who I saw back then and who other women who have come up in my law enforcement career, I feel like when I see them and when you see a police officer, right, and you sit at yourself, you get intimidated, like there's a police officer and people are afraid. And I'm a police officer. My husband's a police officer. I don't want people to see a police officer and be afraid. And I know that there's so much in the media, right, that have all these stories about a lot of negativity and people who have bad experiences with police officer. And I've always made it an extra effort to talk to people, make them feel comfortable and let them know that I'm a person too. I'm a mother and a grandmother. I try to comfort people when they come to me and I explain everything to them. I want them to understand the law because it's different everywhere you go. Like if you're on a reservation, it's federal law. When you go to a city, it's municipal law. When you're out in the county, they have their different laws. And I didn't know all of this until I became a police officer. And I try to explain all of that to people. So with my job, I took on the position of a school resource officer at the end of my career. And I wanted to make sure that a lot of students understood that police officers are approachable. And there's many areas in my job where I attended where there was a lot of Native American kids. That's my heart. That's where like I felt they just grounded me. When they look at a female Native American police officers, like their eyes are huge and I can see them sometimes. Some of them would get really emotional, like the really little kids, because I imagine that they saw an officer where something was traumatic for them. I see that as an opportunity for me to hold this baby's hand and sit with them, whether it was he or her, and comfort them and tell them, my name is Marianne. Even though as a police officer, like, I'm here to sit with you. How was your day? There's even times where I've offered, you know, to help them with clothes, with pencils, papers, backpack, you name it. Or if they had questions, you know, they would hold my hand when they got comfortable with me and I was able to walk with them to class or it's so amazing when they would ask me to eat with them and come to the classroom or come to the playground. And I feel like that's where my career ended was to be able to be a big support to these students. And especially the ones that saw a police officer in the beginning and that were afraid. But in the end, it was so amazing because they would hug me and hold my hand and I'm glad I had that opportunity to try to change their view of police officers. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, Marianne. I appreciate you letting us all know how it's important to educate our young little people about police officers and we don't want them to be afraid of them. You're literally, to some degree, trying to counter on social media, television that shows officers that are not doing what they should be doing. When I was little, I used to be scared. It's always hide. And we talked about that earlier in the podcast, but I know that you're trying to do your part in educating young people about that. Speaking of that, I know at one point you had said something about wanting to write a children's book. Is that something in the horizon still? Yeah. Like I said before, I've heard our people have said, why don't you write a book? And sometimes I'm telling some of my stories and I got this idea and I was like, there's hardly any books out there that where police officers can relate and have a relationship with young children so that they're safe and not afraid of police officers. I remember growing up and you see a police officer and your mom or dad are like, get down and then you hide. <laughs> I, I still remember all of that. And I think about it and I'm like, I've learned a lot as far as having relationship with kids and a police officer. And as a school resource officer, a lot of the schools I've gone to are Native American children. And I know and I've seen kids like preschool or kindergarten, first grade who see a uniform and they see a police officer and they're afraid because Maybe sometimes in the past they had incidents with law enforcement being at their home or whatever they had to go through. And it was really probably traumatic for them. And I have enjoyed like having relationships with children, being able just to have lunch with them or visit them in their classroom. And I get to enjoy 
starting a relationship where they invite me to their class or lunch or on the bus and are even invited me to the movies. They're like, can we go to the movies? And my heart just reaches out to them. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could do this, you know. So it's been a really great experience being in law enforcement and being able to have relationship with our young children. I guess you'll be busy writing your children's book. And the, the, the beautiful thing is now there are a lot of Native artists and writers. I know people who are illustrators who are willing to be on a project. And I actually know of a woman who does writing retreats for Indigenous people. If you're interested, I can yes. send you that information. <laughs> yes, definitely. I, w- I would love to do that. I've thought about it and I've thought of, I've seen some kids books like Native American books and I see like the artists and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So we'll see. I'll be reaching out to you. Speaking of stories, I'm always curious, particularly like truck drivers, maybe even pilots and, of course, police officers. always wonder when you're out there patrolling, did you see anything scary? Did you ever see a UFO? You probably don't even believe in that. I don't know. I'm just curious if you've experienced anything like that. I, I have all kinds of stories. We could sit here all night. I feel like when being Native American and living on the Navajo Reservation, when I was a police officer in that area, I came across a lot of incidents where there was my traditional side. You leave the reservation and you're in an area where my traditional side is like, yeah, like I don't (laughs) want to do that. And I'm afraid and I'm like skinwalker. But I've seen I've witnessed like different incidents. One time I was driving back home. I I would work a shift like from six in the evening till six in the morning and I'm driving home and I look up in the sky and it's still dark and I see this bright light. It traveled like a Z, like really, really fast. And I'm like, there's no way that a helicopter could have done that Mm -hmm. or an airplane. And I'm like, is this thing like following me home? And it was really fast. And I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, like I've heard stories recently about this. And this was on the reservation. So I'm driving and I'm like, is it going to go away? What am I going to do? And I was like, how am I going to respond? Should I call it in? So that was something that I've witnessed. And I'm like, there's nothing that could have traveled like that. And being part of the military, I was like, wow, I've never seen that before. So I finally got to witness that. And that's just like one incident that happened where I was like, there are UFOs. There's something going on. I've heard stories like my mom has seen. She's seen things I haven't. So I'm always curious about that. Thank you so much. You've shared so much about what dancing does for you and how it's very therapeutic. You've also talked about being one of the only Indigenous woman in the military and in the police force, just always being there as a voice and how women have an opportunity to be in this field and giving them tips. As you kind of think about your career and what you've experienced, you know, if you were to think back and look at the history of your life, what do you think has really helped to design who you are? I feel like growing up, I live a life when I was a child where it was really traumatic. And at the time, I didn't recognize that. I didn't see it. As I grew older and leaving the reservation and talking to others and counselors and mentors, I look back and I feel like, wow, I've been through a lot as a child on the reservation. I've learned there's different type of abuses like mental abuse, domestic violence, sexual abuse. If you ask me, I can check everything off. I always thought I need to break this cycle. I need to move forward and heal. I need to protect myself. I need to understand and validate and heal. And it can happen. I wanted a better life for myself and my children and my grandchildren. And that's breaking cycles. I feel like through counseling and having good mentors, friends, and people who actually really loved me as a person helped me. I'm really, really thankful for those people. I can look back and name people who were just there to help me and talk to me and tell me how a woman should be treated, how a mother should be treated, that we didn't have to go through abuse. First of all, thank you for sharing that. What I'm also hearing you say is it's okay to talk about this. Part of the healing is to talk about these incidents, what has happened, to do the work. That's one thing. But the other thing that I also heard you say is 
creating a support system around you, whether it's a therapist or family or friends. You can't do the healing work by yourself. You've got to have a support system. You've got to ask for help. You've also got to talk about it. Yes. And when I look back and I reflect, I've heard things like just don't talk about it. Pretty much like brushing everything under a rug. In this day and age, we as women, as victims, no, we don't need to do that. We need to start defending our family, our children, our sisters, our brothers. We need to start protecting one another. We need to talk about it and we need to tell someone. And as a law enforcement officer, I'm like, you need to call somebody, whether it's a teacher at school, somebody at the clinic, call 911, call a friend, just move forward and do something about it. Because if we keep putting it aside, how are we all going to heal? How are our children going to be protected? And we don't need to protect a person who abuses our children. Yeah. What a lot of us probably have experienced in terms of if anything bad happened, it's always, shh, don't say anything. Don't talk about it. There's shame there. We shouldn't be ashamed because when things have happened when you're young, you don't know. And I agree with you completely. I think there needs to be more conversation about it. I think there needs to be more education about it. And Therapy. Absolutely. Yeah. One thing that I've also learned too is how to have boundaries. Boundaries is so important. At the time, I believe that I was just a people pleaser. I learned through therapy that you have to have boundaries. You have to protect yourself. Sorry, I'm getting emotional about it, but we need to we need to start learning how to protect ourselves, especially our children and our sisters. And I feel like there's been so many times that I've talked to people and they're like, yes, this is what happened to me. And my heart just goes out to our sisters and our brothers, our children. It's not just it's not just females, it's it's males. And now I'm 51. And through my therapy, I talk about it now. Before I kept it all inside. I didn't want anyone to know because I was ashamed. And through my counseling, I learned I can talk about it. I'm healing from this. I'm moving forward. And when I was a child and I experienced this to this day, it affects me. And I always wonder, you know, no wonder some of these victims have chemical dependency. Mm -hmm. They allow it to happen because they think it's okay or they become alcoholics or suicide. Suicide rate is high in Native American communities. And my heart always goes out to wonder what happened in their life, what happened to them. And we need to start protecting one another. Yeah. And even people with depression, right? Yes. So they're, and <clears throat> folks are just medicating. They're medicating themselves and they medicate through various forms of addiction. So it doesn't necessarily have to be alcoholism or drugs. It could be addiction to like work and even pornography things like that. People become addicted and it's an escape. It's hard to do healing work. It's hard to sit with the emotions. I think that's what's hard for people is to sit with the emotions because it's so hard and it's overwhelming. So. I could go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a heavy topic and it's an important topic though. In order for our communities to elevate, we all have to do healing. And that means each and every one of us has to do our own work. When we don't do our own work, then it's a ripple effect. It affects people around us. It affects our family, our children, our friends, our work. So you think about it when you are doing good work, healing work, and you're taking care of yourself, that too is a ripple effect to your children, your family, your coworkers. Right. And even talking about therapy, I, I get my therapy, you know, like off the reservation. And I often think about I wish we had this program on the reservation and we have IHS hospitals and everybody has their stories about IHS hospitals. But I often think about it and why, of course, the community I grew up is on the Navajo Nation, why we don't have more therapy, why we don't have more resources available, because I would love that. I dream about a Native American women's group gathering, showing each other to make star quilts. Those are really um, popular now. Ribbon dresses and just to sit together and talk, communicate and care for one another, take care of each other, love one another, because that's what we need. Hopefully one day we'll see more resources, more therapy. And that's something that I, I always think about as a victim. 
would that be your words of wisdom to our listeners? <laughs> We've shared a lot. I just want to thank you for sharing so much of yourself. Anything you want to leave with our listeners? When I first became a part or enlisted in the military and becoming a police officer, I had a lot of doubt. I was, I was, I really doubted myself, but I told myself that I'm going to do this. I'm going to do my best every day. And I always tell people that don't have expectations from them. Think about yourself and do your best. And there's so much experience I've had where I did my best. And I'm like, wow, I did that. It was me. It was all me. And that was just doing my best. All right. You heard it from Marianne. Do your best. I think when we do the the self-talk of doubting, that's wasted energy. Right? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because there are things that are still new for me and I'm experimenting and I have those doubts, but I always stop. That is not helping you, you know, so. I remember a specific incident when I was running in the police academy. We had to run every day. And there's so many times that I just wanted to stop. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. And I would think about my great grandmother and my grandmother and what they went through. I would do little like Mm -hmm. self-talk, like I was talking to them. Like, I know you went through so much and I don't want to give up. I need strength. And I feel like our ancestors, they went through so much. And in this day and age, like we shouldn't give up. We need to just be strong and keep moving forward. Mm, I love that. It's You're telling folks to tap into something bigger than you. And that is our relatives, our ancestors who are continue to watch over us. I love that. All right, Marianne, I have fire round questions. Ready, I'm ready. (laughs) Ready? Some of them you're going to be like, what? All right. I feel like I'm at the shooting range. (laughs) All right. The first one is, what's your favorite body part? Um, Fake or real? (laughs) My favorite body part is my hands. Mm-hmm. I have a good trigger finger. <laughs> That's right. You do. You know, I'm going to take gun classes, by the way. And so once I get, once I go through the classes and get myself a little gun, I'll say, Marianne, let's go shoot. <laughs> I'll be like, yes, let's go shopping for a gun. <laughs> the next one is, what time do you wake up in the morning? So I feel like most of my career, I've been getting up like at 5, 5.30, right? And since I retired, I was still getting up early. But I make myself try to sleep because I feel like I'm decompressing. Mm. So I wake up and I'm like, go back to sleep, go back to sleep. (laughs) So it's different now since I retired because I truly feel like our body needs rest, right? Absolutely. And I'm like, okay, I need eight hours at least because before I feel like through my whole career, it was like five, six hours of sleep. And that really does a lot to your body. I've learned. So I'm trying to sleep as much as I can, but my husband gets up at seven. So I get up about say 7.30, try to shoot for eight. There's a book I'm reading called Rest is Resistance. You should read that book. And it talks about the more that we rest, we become more creative. So when you think about work, if you're creative, you're also being strategic. I'll, I'll send you the information on that. My great grandmother, she always used to say early to bed, early to rise. So mm. that's the saying that goes on in our family. All right. So the next question, describe your style in one word. Tom girl. Nothing wrong with Tom girls. No, <laughs> not at all. You always look so nice, though, when I see you. You always have nice jewelry. Like, I'm looking at your jewelry now. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And it's a plan now. It's self-care, right? I've learned mm-hmm. about self-care. That's so important. And it feels good to look nice, wear nice jewelry, self-care. One subject you would like to learn more about? Weaving, learning how to weave. Mm. And learning how to make jewelry, learning how to be better. And I feel like for me, I want that therapy. I want that knowledge. There's hardly anybody right nowadays, like you have your friends who can weave and make jewelry. And I want to be a person to carry that on. Art is therapy. It is. I find that all of that is art. Rug weaving, beading, it's art form. And it really helps you to be fully present so your mind doesn't wander because you're with that object, right? I kind of feel like it's funny because I'm a good shooter. 
And when I started in the police academy and in the military, I didn't know how to shoot. And I was like, I'm a good shooter and I shoot really, really well. And I'm like, where does that come from? You know, mm. and that's always been like my hobby. Like I couldn't rate wait to go to the shooting range and people would always be like dang bullhead like <laughs> you got this score and it's all guys and I'm like I don't know where it came from but I did pretty well and then now I'm like I don't want to do that anymore I don't know if it's because I'm a grandma now like I want to learn how to weave mm-hmm. I want to learn some of the skills that women have had and I'm always looking at the, the old pictures of like women weaving and mm. that's what I want that's what I crave they would be nice here in the Rio Rancho area if they would have some weaving classes Oh, yes. I would go. Vicky started. Vicky started. I'm still learning myself. <laughs> oh, no. We should put it out there. Maybe someone, right. there's a we. there's got to be a weaver here that they should do some classes for. We need for you. Us. Yes. <laughs> Calling you out. All right. So last question. What did you wish you learned sooner? I wish I learned sooner not to be a victim. And I have so much to say about that. I wish I learned sooner to be able to reach out and get help. And there's help out there, whether it's sexual abuse, domestic violence, all of it. There's there's resources. There's help out there. Marianne, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. And I was really excited about you even saying yes. And I'm looking forward to continuing to follow you on Facebook and see what you're going to be doing during your retirement phase. (laughs) Thank you. This morning I was emotional because I was sitting at a restaurant and it's kind of funny because now when I run errands, I'm sitting there and of course I'm retired and there's a lot of retired people. And I'm like, wow, I'm in that group now. I came this far and I just really thank our creator for putting me in this place. Thank you, listeners. We appreciate you listening to us. We hope that you took away something. And again, a Marianne, a Thank you.